Let's uh, read this passage together. Matthew 17, verses 1 to 9. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. You know, the transfiguration is a key event in the life of Jesus, and it's a key event for every single one of us here today. The Eastern Orthodox Church considers the transfiguration of Jesus to be a particularly major festival in the life of the church. But here in the West, the church hasn't quite caught up with that. But what is the significance of the transfiguration? Well, the chapters before the one we've just read preceding tell us about this man, Jesus. And it climaxes at this point on top of a mountain. And it answers the question, who is Jesus? So we're going to be looking at three different things today. Who is Jesus? What did Jesus come to do? And how can we connect with Jesus? So who is Jesus? Well, the transfiguration tells us all about this guy, Jesus. And in order to know about him, we have to look at this passage, look at the imagery contained in this text we've just heard read. His face shone like the sun. Wow. There was bright lights, lightning. There was clouds. And it got better. There was the voice of God. This was a moment of extreme glory. Now, if you are familiar with your Old Testament, uh, you'll know that this kind of sounds very familiar indeed, particularly with Mount Sinai and the story of the Exodus, where God delivered the people from Egypt, and he did so mainly through using a glory cloud. So in the daytime, we read that it looked like a pillar of white smoke, and by night, it shone with fiery glory from inside. This is pretty dramatic stuff. The glory cloud stopped Pharaoh's army coming after the children of Israel. The glory cloud led Israel to Mount Sinai. And when they got there, the glory cloud appeared on top of the mountain. Well, what was this glory cloud? 
It was a sign representative of the transcendence, the majesty and the greatness of God. It was a way of representing all that God is. And we read in Exodus chapter 34, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, his face literally shone. It says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant. Can you imagine the situation? Have you ever had a moment in the presence of God and your face has been left shining, glowing? A few years ago, um, I was privileged to be in Uganda uh, with some friends of ours, Rachel, Ellie and Ben were also there. And we were at the wedding ceremony of one of our Ugandan friends called Caleb. And part of the local tradition was you had to go to the, um, the village where they grew up in order for them to be handed over uh, to the other family. So we were in the middle of this um, ceremony, which uh, was pretty long, but they fed us and nourished us pretty well. And they gave us a local drink. Um, I don't exactly know what was in this drink, uh, but it certainly caused a reaction for one of my friends, Adam. During the ceremony, I just by chance happened to look behind me where Adam was sat, and I looked straight at Adam's face, and it was unrecognizable. In fact, I've got a picture to show you. It was bright red, swollen, his eyes couldn't open, and he was struggling to breathe. He'd had a pretty severe allergic reaction to some local ingredient that was put in this uh, fermented alcoholic drink. It was not a pretty sight, but he, did it, he looked pretty unfazed by it. I think I was more shocked than he was, and it was only when we took a picture uh, to show him his own face did he realize how extreme the situation was. Glad to report his face is now back to normal. But his face was manifesting something that was going on inside of his body. You see, with Moses, his face shone with reflected light. A bit like the moon, it reflected God's glory. Moses wasn't aware at first what his face looked like. But you see, this passage we've just read in Matthew 17 it tells us that Jesus is the actual Son of God. It tells us that glory doesn't come down, it comes out. It doesn't flash down from the sky, it comes from Jesus. Jesus is the source of the light. His actual body shone. You know, so often, don't we, when we're looking at where God is in our lives, we look to things like the stars, we look to mountains. God, where are you? But because of Jesus' transfiguration, we can look to Jesus as God. And so what this means, the glory cloud in the Old Testament, is it's very helpful for us. 
but it's pointing to Jesus. It's representative of Jesus, who is the glory of God. You see, God was once hidden. His presence was manifested in things such as fire and clouds. But now God's presence is revealed in Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 1 verse 3 says this, The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. You see, what we're discovering is that Jesus is the exact representation of God. He is God. There's nothing like Jesus because he is the exact, the perfect representation. He is the ultimate way to understand who God is. And so what do we do with this? This amazing piece of information about this amazing man, Jesus, who is God. Well, firstly, we need to understand that Jesus isn't just another prophet. He isn't just another Elijah. He isn't another Moses. He is God. And he is the God that all the prophets are trying to get near. The one they've been seeking, pointing to. And in this narrative that we've just heard, Peter says this in verse 4. I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Can you imagine the situation? Jesus and three of his friends have just gone up this mountain like they usually did, usually for a bit of prayer. And as they got to the top of the mountain, Something strange happens to Jesus. This supernatural activity happens where he shines brightly. His whole being is transfigured, transformed. And Peter says, I'll get you a tent for you, Elijah and Moses. You can go in your tent. You can imagine Peter was probably he was unexpected of this happening. He was probably a bit shocked, a bit phased, and panicking. What on earth is happening to me in this moment? And it's funny, isn't it, what happens to us in the unexpected moments of our lives? We sometimes go into a bit of a flap, or we go along with it. Now, growing up as a kid, I used to watch Jeremy Beadle. Anyone watch Jeremy Beadle? Because, I mean, I'm someone who loves uh, to, to prank people and to wind people up. And this was the king of those kind of things. And one of his ultimate pranks uh, was to stage an alien invasion in a woman's back garden. And he literally went to town with this prank. He got the army in, the military, the emergency for, uh, services. He, he got scientists in. This thing looked like the real deal. And then this woman arrives back to her home, and this happens. Enjoy. The alien invasion for that for lady was the transfiguration situation for Peter. And so what happens then is God comes to the rescue in the way of his declaring his voice. In verse 5 of the passage, it says, A bright cloud enveloped them. 
and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus is not another prophet. He is God's son. He is God. Secondly, Jesus is who he says he is. If we look at Luke chapter 10, verse 18, it says, this is Jesus speaking, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Wow. You see, what Jesus is saying there is, before the world was created, I, Jesus, was around. Before Satan, I knew him as Lucifer. And I remember the day when he fell from heaven. You see, no prophet before had claimed, ever claimed these things. But Jesus did. Because Jesus is beyond any prophet that has lived. He is more than a prophet. He is who he claims to be. He is God. N.T. Wright, um, a previous bishop of Durham, said this. How can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human, that the fire has become flesh, that life itself came to life and walked in our midst? Christianity either means that or it means nothing. It is either the more devastating disclosure of the deepest reality in the world or it's a sham, a nonsense a bit of deceitful play-acting. Most of us, unable to cope with saying either of those things, condemn ourselves to live in the shallow world in between. You see, as followers of Jesus, we have one of two choices to make. Either he is utterly insane and we reject him, or we build our lives around him. He is either all or nothing, yet we tend to float in this middle ground. Thirdly, the only real Jesus is a supernatural Jesus. Jesus is not just a human being. He is a supernatural human being. He was born miraculously into the world. He lived miraculously in the world. And he was raised from the dead miraculously. Yet I often ask the question, why have churches all around the world, particularly in the West, why have they chosen to leave out the supernatural, the miracles? You see, without miracles, we just have a great teacher in Jesus. Without the resurrection, we just have a nice symbol. Instead of becoming a Christian and being born again, it means just living a nice, good life. You see, we, without the supernatural element of Jesus in our faith, what we actually have is a different religion. Yet what do churches have in common? Growing churches. It's Bible-believing and miracle-seeking. Word and spirit churches. And that's what we see here in the transfiguration of Jesus. Jesus fulfilling scripture, 
in a supernatural moment. It tells us who Jesus is, and it also tells us what he came to do. So let's look at that. What did he come to do? Well, verse 6 says this. They, meaning his disciples, they fell face down to the ground. They were afraid. They were terrified. Why? Because what happened every time this kind of event happened in the Old Testament, when the glory cloud appeared, is it had lethal consequences. You see, on Sinai, people were told not to even touch the mountain or else they would die. So you can see, you can understand why they were afraid and terrified in this moment. You see, all the world's religions have a middle ground between deity and humanness, a gap that needs to be bridged. And the religions of the world offer various solutions to this. They have temples, they have sacrifices, they have good works that you can fulfill, they have gifts that you can offer. But here in this passage, we see what the disciples chose to do. They looked up and they saw no one except Jesus. You see, the Christian faith is different because Jesus has done all of that for us. The disciples didn't bring a sacrifice to the mountain, but they lived. Why? Because Jesus is the sacrifice. The disciples weren't perfect, but they still lived. Why? Because Jesus was perfect. You see, the transfiguration of Jesus tells us that he has done all things, whereas every other religion says, you must do it all. How is this possible? I love the account of the transfiguration um, from Luke, one of the other gospel writers. And uh, if you want to turn to that, feel free. It's in Luke chapter 9, verse 30. And it says this, a little bit more detail is given. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring fulfillment to in Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. Now, what's interesting about this short passage here is the word departure. Because the word exodus comes from this in the Greek language. So here we discover that this guy Moses who was the person responsible for bringing the Israelites out of slavery, talking to Jesus about his exodus. Huh? Surely it should be Jesus talking to Moses about his exodus. But no, it's the other way round. What's that about? Well, you see, Moses, he only liberated the people from social and economic Oppression. Whereas here in this moment when we see Jesus, Moses and Elijah together, the light bulb moment is on. Because Jesus 
through his death and resurrection, is going to liberate, free us from oppression of sin and death. That is incredible. That's why this passage of the transfiguration is significant for you and for me. Because Jesus is that bridge between the gap. He has done what every other religion says you must do. Jesus came to do all of that for you and for me. So surely then, if the whole of humanity is looking for wholeness and fulfillment, meaning and purpose in life, surely we all want to connect with this man, Jesus, who is God in the flesh. So how do we connect with him? Well, I think there's four simple ways in which we can all choose to connect with Jesus, either for the first time or afresh today. The first one is we can all pray. Peter, in Matthew chapter 16, just before uh, the transfiguration passage, when Jesus asked him, who do you say I am? Peter's response was, you are Christ, the son of the living God. Why is this important? Because in this moment, Peter knew in his head who Jesus was. But in his heart, did he know the fullness of who Jesus was. You see, what's really interesting is in Luke's account of Jesus' transfiguration, we read of Jesus, Peter, James, and John going up the mountain to pray. So quite literally, it was whilst praying that Jesus was transfigured. The prayer brought, trans brought transformation of his whole being. That's the power of prayer. Leonard Ravenhill, who was an evangelist from Yorkshire, he said this, there's nothing more transfiguring than prayer. Why do we pray? Well, as Julian of Norwich said, the whole reason why we pray is to be united into the vision and the contemplation of God to whom we pray. You see, quite literally, it is through prayer that we are transformed. It is in prayer that we seek God and our hearts, both God's and ours, mutually connect. That's the power of prayer. Prayer transforms each one of us. If only we choose to pray. The other way in which we connect with Jesus is through community. There's an invitation here, here at St. Thomas's to come into community. You know, when the world sells us something that's so individualistic and self-centered, we get to offer something to one another and to share in community with each other. And we see this in the passage when Jesus chooses to go up the mountain with a small group of friends. He didn't have to do that, but he chose to do that. Peter, James, and John. 
Often in the most intimate and most personal moments of Jesus' life and ministry, he goes off with a small group of friends. The raising of Jairus' daughter, the Garden of Gethsemane. Community was important to Jesus and it should be important to us too. And you know, if you want to see the light of Jesus shine, if you want to see his glory in all of his splendor and majesty, then it's best to do that within community. And that's why we strive here at St. Thomas's to build community with one another. We love to be family. You know, experience peace by being family. When the world is in desperate need of peace, we can offer something in Jesus by being family. You know, when did God's voice appear before in Jesus' life? Can you remember? It was at Jesus' baptism. When the words of the transfiguration are almost echoed from Jesus' baptism. It says, a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Family. Every single one of us here today, myself included, need, need to hear those words spoken from God to Jesus the Son. We need to hear them to be true and real for us too today. That he loves us, that we are his son, we are his daughter. In us, he is well pleased. He adores us. You know, Jesus was assured of the father's love because he wants you to know his love for you. God gave Jesus all the affection in that moment, the adoration the affirmation, all the stuff that we long for, he showed Jesus it. And in his Jesus', Jesus radiance, he shared that with us so that we may know it. We need to know that we are children of God. And you see, when we know that, when we know who Jesus is and what he came to do for us, when we understand that, and when we know that it's not what we've done in our life that dictates the outcome, but it's what Jesus has done for us. When we know, not just in our heads, but in our hearts, that we are loved by God, everything changes about us. We have our own transfiguration moment in our lives. And that's what we all surely are longing for. From the glory cloud of Jesus' transfiguration, we're adopted into God's family as his children, but we're also heirs of his kingdom. We get to share in eternity with God. And the church, this is the place where we should and can experience family. How do we connect to Jesus? Through prayer through community, through being family together. And it's through all those three things, when they come together, that we choose to submit to Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. To sit underneath his authority. 
You see, if we want to tap into knowing Jesus a little more and knowing who we are in him, then we must be obedient to him. We must commit to follow him, to submit to his authority. What did the voice from heaven say to Jesus' disciples in this transfiguration moment? Listen to him. That's an invitation to submit to Jesus. This is my son. Will we submit to Jesus? You know, Jesus sacrificed himself just to delight us by setting us free. And why do we obey? To delight him, to know him, to worship him, to submit to his authority because what he has done for us. Only our true response to what Jesus has done for us surely is to commit our whole lives to him and to worship him. We're all made to worship. But what are we choosing to worship? The transfiguration of Jesus isn't just so our spiritual eyes can be blinded by his glory. It's so our lives can be pierced with his infinite love for us. Jesus' transfiguration points to the need for our own. It tells us who Jesus is. It tells us what he came to do and how we are to respond. He is the one the world has been waiting for. He is the Messiah. Can I invite you to close your eyes? God, we thank you that you sent your son, Jesus. To fulfill scripture. Thank you that the word became flesh. And God, the world, as we know it, is longing for a transfiguration of our time, a revelation of your son, Jesus Christ. And God, we pray that by your grace and your mercy, that we would be transfixed and changed by your glory today. That we would then go out propelled into the world, revealing the brightness, the glory, the splendor of your son, Jesus Christ. That our faces too may shine with your presence so that we would see the world transformed and the world come to know your son Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Amen.